Good to see everybody. How's everybody doing? Good? All right. Got an excited crowd today. That's great. Must be the cold, right? Something. Well, hey, I too just want to say, if you're a guest, welcome. I'm really glad that uh, you could join us here this morning. I also want to say on on behalf of Pastor Steve and myself, um, thank you so much for your response um, from last weekend and uh, just overwhelming uh, to us and affirming. And um, so, yeah, just really so grateful um, for that. Well, this morning we're... um, really excited to be starting a, a new uh, series, a new sermon series. But before we jump into that, I thought I might tell you why I have this gash and these stitches on my forehead. Can't see them real good on the screen there. But um, before um, uh, last Monday, I should say, uh, I had an opportunity that I'd never had before. I had an opportunity to go hunting for the very first time. And uh, it's dangerous, yeah. And so um, Michael Hofer, uh, who works with our middle school students and uh, works alongside Jack Archer is one of our interns. Uh, he uh, invited me to come along, and I, I knew it would just be a, a good time just to hang out with him, if nothing else, and uh, just a great guy. I love being with him. And, and so anyway, uh, we went, and uh, so there we were, 6 a.m. We're sitting on this beautiful bluff, you know, right at the top of this thing in northern Nebraska, and there's frost all over everything. The sun is rising. I mean, it couldn't be any better. And um, all of a sudden, Michael, out to the left, he sees, and he's got his little track finder thing, and he sees this deer over here, and, and uh, it's 275 yards away, and, and he says, hey, there's one, you know, and so we kind of wait and watch it for a little bit, and, and then out comes a buck. Now, each time I tell the story, the buck gets a little bit bigger, but uh, it, it was large. It really was large, and uh, so that thing came out, and, and Michael said, take the shot, take the shot, you know, and so I, I got out the rifle I had, and, and I took the shot, and uh, missed, and then I took another and missed again, and then, and then Michael said to me, and he had it all scoped in on his gun at that point, he said, get over here, just, just use my gun, you know, and, and I'm thinking, man, I'm, so, I'm sorry, Michael, you know, and, and this thing is still standing there, I don't know why it was putting up with me, you know, I mean, this thing was, didn't have a clue, you know, and, and so anyway, I, Michael's a lot bigger than I am, and he had his, his gun down on the ground on a little tripod, and so he's laying down on his stomach, so I get over there, but he's, he's a lot bigger than me, and so I get up to the gun, but I, I couldn't find it in the scope. I just couldn't locate it. And finally, I did, but it, I was still, I was really struggling. So I kept getting closer and closer to the scope with my face. So finally, when I saw that thing in there, and Michael's saying, take the shot, take the shot, you know. And, and I said, Michael, it turned toward me. He said, it's okay. Just shoot right. You're okay, you know, and take the shot. So finally, I, real close, took the shot, recoil, boom, right. That scope popped me right in the face, you know. It wasn't pretty, yeah. <laughs> So, so there's our first hour of hunting. We're laughing, bleeding, you know, and the thing though I loved about Michael is after that happened, you know, I'm like, whoa, and Michael's like, take another shot, you know, and this thing was still standing there, you know, and, and so he throws me a glove eventually and, and lay down on the ground for a while, and, but I, I love the way that Michael was thinking because Michael knew that there was one thing that would be worse than going home with some stitches, and that would be going home with some stitches and no deer, right? <laughs> And so Michael, he's, he's still looking around, and uh, all of a sudden, he, he sees one right next to the one that I kept missing. The one I missed kind of went into the forest, but he sees another one. And so he says, Jeff, get over here. He's like, man, you can bleed any time. Like, scars are cool, you know, like, just get over here, you know. And, and so I, sure enough, I sighted it up again, and, and this time, <laughs> I was back so far, you know, from that, that gun. And anyway, pulled the trigger, and we got one. So that was good, you know, we ended up doing that, so... Did you ever think you'd clap in church for a dead deer? Yeah, I didn't either. Yeah. 
So I thought, if nothing else, it's going to give me, you know, a good sermon illustration or probably a lot of emails about Bambi, actually, in my inbox, you know, that kind of thing. So, well, Jeff, hey, Tim. Uh, we are not going to let you get away with sharing that story without letting us kind of get our foot in the door with saying, because of the scope of what, of what happened, nice. every man in here it's very, very clever. Oh, we didn't do something like this, so we're gunning for you. So, oh, so, wow. So You've been working on this. Yeah. Fairly unprecedented, something fairly unbelievable, unheard of, and because unnecessary, doing, uh, uh, doing yeah. anything while looking through a veil of blood, that, that just is automatically a, a, a heroic act of wow. epic proportion. Thank and you. So let me let me hunt for it. Let me hunt for it. Oh, here it is. We award you a man card. All right. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. There you go. There you go. Thanks, buddy. And I've got Appreciate one more pun that isn't going to fit somewhere else, but, but I'm just going to say here, but you've got to say that those stitches cost you a buck. Ah, yes. nice job. That's all good. Right. Now you know what Tim did all weekend, getting ready for that, right? That's pretty good, buddy. That's really good. All right, enough of that. Switching gears without a clutch. Here we go. Ready? Um, this week, as I was just reading in my personal time with the Lord, um, I came across something I wanted to share with you um, before we just pray for our time together in God's Word. And, and um, this is something that the Apostle Paul said to the church in Corinth. And uh, you know, Paul, he was a, a famous writer in the New Testament and um, a man of God. And, and he said this, and, and before I show you the, verse 4, before I read this passage, he, he says to these people, he says, when I came to you, like when I came to open up the word to you, he said, I came with fear and I came with trembling. And then he, he writes this in verse 4. Paul writes, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on, man, on human wisdom, but on God's power. And I wanted to share that with you this morning because I think it puts us in a good place before we open up God's word. It puts us in a good place when, when you're alone with the Lord too and you're opening up God's word to remember that we're not, we're not asking for human wisdom. We're not asking for eloquent speech. What we're asking for or we're petitioning God for every time we gather is that the spirit of God would open our hearts and that the power of God would speak into us. And so I want to start by just asking with all of you us to go before the Lord and say, Lord, would, would you... Not, not man's wisdom, but Lord, we pray for God's power. We pray that the spirit, as we sang, and the spirit of the living God would fall upon us this morning. So would you, would you pray with me, and then we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, I thank you um, for this morning. And um, Lord, I thank you for your church that you've gathered together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and well this morning that it, and that you long to speak to us. Um, Lord, I also thank you that you know us this morning. You know the weeks that we've had. Some people here are going through extreme trials. Others are having times of exceeding joy in their life. But wherever we're at, Lord, you know right where we are, and you know the touch of God that you want to give us this morning. And so would you just pray, and and maybe this is a first, or maybe this is a brand new prayer for you, but would you just pray this morning, Lord, I'm open to you. Lord, would you speak to me? And the reason why I want you to pray that is because the Lord will answer that prayer. And so would you just say to the Lord very simply, I'm open, and Lord, I'm listening to you this morning. Lord, we love you, and Lord, we thank you for this time. Lord, you are an awesome God. And we pray that you would be worshipped this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 
Well, today, as I said, um, we're starting this new series, and this series is called I Am. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to be tracking through five different statements that Jesus Christ said about himself. And in each one of these statements, Jesus is going to tell us something about himself, which is going to help us understand how to relate to him and how to better understand him. And through each one of these statements, Jesus, what he's going to do is he's going to answer some of life's biggest questions. So beginning today and then the next four Sundays, we're going to look at five of these questions. And I love the question that we're going to look at this morning because it's very foundational and it really it impacts each and every aspect of our lives. The question that Jesus will answer this morning by the statement that he makes about himself is this. So if you're taking notes, you might jot this down. Here's the question. Who's going to guide me? Who's going to guide me through life? Put another way, who's going to lead me through life? Uh, Who's going to give me the guidance when I'm not sure what I should do? Who's going to be the one that's going to come alongside me and is going to help me? Who's going to be the one that's going to provide direction in life? Maybe it's the big things of life, but maybe it's also just the small things. Who would you say, who's going to be the guiding one who who directs your life? For you this morning, the application of this uh, message might be one that you're kind of in a situation where you're about to make a, a decision. Or for you, maybe it's something like you've, got a, uh, you've had a good habit in your life that you just kind of pushed off to the wayside. Or maybe for you, you'd say, no, it's a much bigger thing than that. This is, is going to be a life issue thing for me. But the question again, who's going to guide me? This is a really important question because it leads to this statement, and you might, jot, you might jot this down. Here it is. Whoever guides us through life determines our destination. That's why this question is so important. Whoever guides us through life determines our destination. And this is why parents, they care so much about who's influencing their children. This is why parents' ears perk up when they see who their kids are, are hanging out with, because they know this. They know that the lead influencers in their child's life will directly impact their child's destination. They care about that. This is why if you're traveling somewhere and you're about to get on a bus or a train or maybe even greater if you're about to fly somewhere, you, you check where you're going more than one time, right? You make sure that this, this vehicle, of, this mode of transportation is going to take you where you want to go because you care about your destination. This is why when you see someone who's um, off the path that you care about, somebody that's struggling, you start inserting yourself because you care about their final destination. Or you just stand back and you say, God, would you bring someone into their life? You care about this person. You care about their destination. But the thing that really grabbed me about this text that we're going to look at this morning is the heart of Jesus Christ. As I studied this week, um, even before we look at this question, know this. This was just jumped out at me this week. Jesus wants his listeners to be guided through life by someone who has their best interests in mind. Jesus looks at this group of people, this crowd of people that are in front of him, and we'll talk more about that crowd, but he looks at them the same way and with the exact same motivation that he looks at each and every one of us here this morning. He wants every person in this room, don't miss this, to be led very well through life because Jesus knows whoever guides you, determines your destination. And so with this winsome, with this um, heart motivation of of Jesus Christ, we're going to look at these statements as we go through this series. And what we're going to find is that the thing that motivated his heart was love. The thing that motivated his heart was great care and provision for people like like you and me. Before we look at John chapter 8, verse 12, I want to give you some of the context so it will help us understand uh, where we're going. 
This is what has just happened. This is the, the backstory of what's just happened leading up to this moment in verse 12. There's a group of religious people that have approached Jesus, and there's you know, a big crowd of people, not just the religious people, but a large crowd, and these religious people, though, they kind of make their way through the crowd, but they bring with them a woman. Now, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery, and so these men, these religious men, come to Jesus, and they say, this woman, according to the law, she should be stoned. Jesus, what do you say? So imagine that moment, how humiliating for this woman. And, and so Jesus says to these religious men, he says, well, if any of you are without sin, if any of you are perfect, then why don't you go ahead and why don't you go ahead and throw the first stone? And so as maybe you know how the story unfolds, everybody leaves the scene and then Jesus is just left with one person in front of him and it's this woman. And instead of giving her a long lecture, he says to her, woman, Leave your life of sin. Go, he says, go and leave your life of sin. Now imagine for a second if this woman was your daughter. What would you think about the response that Jesus gave her? I mean, because what Jesus is saying is this. He's saying to her, ma'am, there, there's a better way for you. He's saying, whatever is, is guiding you now doesn't need to be the same thing that guides you all throughout your life. Whatever has been your experience, whatever's led you to this place of, of pain and frustration, whatever your current path is, you don't need to stay the course. You don't need, he's saying, out of love for her, he's saying, you don't need to live life apart from me. And I just love the motivation that we see of Jesus. I love the heart of Jesus, as we'll see in this passage. Now, the very next thing that John writes about in this gospel is very fitting. Jesus is making a statement about himself, and he very directly answers this question, who is going to guide me? And this is a fitting question for this woman, but it was also a fitting question, really, for everybody in the crowd that day. Because if there was one thing that was true about everybody in the crowd that, that morning, and it would be... The same would be true for every person, every single person in this room, is that we are all being led by something or someone. In the crowd that day, listening to Jesus, there were a variety of people. There were people of all ages, more than likely, young and old, and were kids and grandparents, teenagers. In the crowd that day, there were people that were loving life. There were people that were just excited about life, but there were also people who were extremely frustrated. There were people that were struggling, that were looking for a course change. Some people had experienced a lot of life in the crowd, and they were wising up. Other people were there just because the crowd had gathered. But many were there because they were wondering what Jesus was like. Who is he? And if I really began to follow him, if he became, became the one that guided and provided direction for my life, where would he guide me? This week I thought about this, I thought, I wonder, if, I wonder if there are people, and I know there are people, there are people in our church here this morning that you might be asking some of those same questions. And you might be wondering, okay, if I open the door of my life to Jesus Christ, what will be, that be like? Where will he lead me? Where would Jesus guide my life? Let me ask you this question, where would you say that the crowd of our day gets its guidance? When you think about our culture and, and our society, where would you say the crowd of our day gets its guidance? Where do, where do we, where do people of our day, where do we look for wisdom? Where do we look for direction? I think some people would say, you know what, I look to a trusted friend. Others would say, I look to a mentor or, or to a parent. Dr. Phil, a horoscope. Some would say a spouse. Maybe someone would say, you know what, honestly, I, I make a lot of my decisions based on whoever had the strongest opinion that day at the coffee shop. 
For others, you might say, well, a well-known author, that's who I go to for wisdom, a good-looking professor, a favorite blog. We can all also be guided by things like greed. Have you ever known someone, maybe this has been your past story, where you've been guided by greed, you've just wanted to get ahead. And so whatever it took to get ahead, that's what really guided you through life, or pride, or anger. You know anybody that something happened to them years and years ago and they're still angry about it? And so their anger is the driving force behind the decisions that they make. It just overcomes them. Their anger guides them. Or maybe, and this is hard to watch, when someone just wants to be accepted. And so they're willing to go down whatever course acceptance will lead them on. That's the thing that's guiding them. Back to the context. I wonder if that woman, I wonder if that woman, I just wonder if that next day, the woman that was dragged before the crowd and was humiliated, I wonder if she was sitting there before Jesus as he began to speak, and I wonder if she was thinking, I really do want something different to guide my life, but I, you know what? I just don't feel like I'm good enough for another option. When left to ourselves to go and figure out how to navigate through life, through the job, through singleness, through high school, through marriage, through parenting, when left to ourselves, oftentimes what happens to you and I is we end up at a destination that we really didn't plan on. We end up at a destination that we don't like. Yet there's no doubt about it, the heart of Jesus, what he's wanting, this crowd of people, and what he's wanting for each and every one of us this morning is that we, that he, that we would know that he would say, I can guide you in a different path. And so with this group ready to hear before him, Jesus says something that would have been interesting to some, it would have been confusing to others, but it also, it was life-changing to some. We see that in the text. For some people, that changed their life, these words that we're about to look at that he said. And this week, as it's gone by, my prayer has been that this morning, that the words of Jesus Christ would guide every aspect of our lives. For some, that it would be life-changing completely. For others, that we would say, wow, that area of my life, okay, yeah, that's where I need to have Christ begin to guide me. So here's what he said to this group, a lot like us. Matthew, or John chapter 8, verse 12. It says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, and it's a very short statement. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This first I am statement in it, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Now to the Jew, the word light this would have brought up all sorts of things in their mind because in, in, in their culture, and in, in their language, light represented things like truth, things like righteousness. Light represented God's blessing. Even the concept of light, it related to the concept of joy. So those are the things that would have come to mind for them. But in order to understand this statement that Jesus made about himself, I am the light of the world in order to really understand that, we've really got to know what, what happened in their context the day before Jesus said these words to this crowd of people before him. Because the way that he described himself had significant meaning. Here's what I mean. Back in, in John chapter 7, we see that this was the time of the year when the Jewish people celebrated what was called the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, during this festival, during this feast, people would flock to Jerusalem. They would travel to Jerusalem, and outside of Jerusalem, they would set up all of these tents or these little huts, and each one of these huts would have a, a torch that would burn at night. 
And at night also in the inner courts, there would, be this, there would be these four huge menorahs. And you can just picture this, the biggest candelabra you can possibly think of, all lit up. One Jewish uh, source said this. He said, there was not a courtyard in Jerusalem that did not reflect their light. It was bright. It was so bright. In addition to those four massive lights, during this festival, think about this. Just try to picture this. There would have been thousands and thousands of these little lights all across the hillside, which usually had no light on it. This festival was done three times by the Jews, three times a year. And and according to Deuteronomy chapter 16, the purpose of it was this. They would gather together, and what they were remembering was God's provision. They were remembering when they were wanderers through the wilderness and God provided a pillar of fire. And so that's why they've got these torches and these candelabras and all of these lights to remember the light that God had provided for them to take them out of where they were to a better place. And so imagine this. I mean, just imagine this. As you look outside the city, the hills are covered with lights like never before. One scholar compared the Israelites, the feeling that they would have had inside of themselves, as what we feel like when we see the most magnificent display of Christmas lights ever, or the best 4th of July grand finale ever. That's the kind of feeling they had when they looked out and they celebrated it. Another scholar said that the most, even the most dignified of leaders, they would gather and they would dance around these candelabras and they would sing and they had torches in their hand and they were giving glory and praise to God because of God's provision. That's just the night before this. With that as the backdrop, imagine this, the morning after the festival, this image of the city and the hills covered in these lights. It was amazing. It was uncommon. It's fresh in their minds. And Jesus says this then to them, I am. I am the light of the world. And what he was saying was this, that I, I'm not just a light, I am I'm the light. I'm not just one light that's going to light up your dwelling place. I'm not just a, a few lights that will make the, the hillside look a little bit different. No, he was saying, I am the light of life. I'm different. Jesus was saying, I can guide your entire life, not just a part of it, I can guide your entire life. I can forgive you. I am the light of life. I am the the son of God, he was saying. In John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, it says this, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is saying, what you saw last night, crowd, He's saying, oh, that's nothing. That might have been impressive to you, but there's something even much greater that I can impress you with. I can lead your entire life. I'm not just a light in the city. I'm the light of the entire world. And when you embrace me, Jesus was saying, your life will be changed, be significant. And Jesus said this in Matthew, or sorry, in John chapter 8. He said the truth, and he was talking about himself, the truth, the truth about me, he said, The truth about me will set you free. The truth about Jesus Christ, it'll put your life in a different direction. It'll deliver you from darkness. It'll guide you through different points in your life. Have you ever been in a situation where you really needed light? Maybe you're in a parking lot or something, you lost your keys and it's dark and there's just no way of finding them without light. You're trying to fix something on the sink and you just... You can't do it without light. You know the feeling when you finally get light and you can actually see. 
The light of Jesus Christ is everything. The light of Jesus Christ is our hope. It's our guide. It's our refuge. Jesus Christ is the one that forgives us. The light of Christ, it leads us to life. The light of Jesus Christ, it exposes things in us that aren't right. The light of Christ exposes things in us and in our world that just aren't right. We were eating at a restaurant um, last week, and our youngest dropped a little toy underneath the, the booth, you know, down where our feet were. And, and so we got out our phone, hit the flashlight, and, and you know, so we're, now we can see on the floor, which you want to eat first and then look, you know, it was bad. I was like, oh, get, come up, come back up, you know, but it exposes things, doesn't it? Light exposes things. I don't think there's a person in the room that wouldn't agree that there are some pretty dark things about each one of us, right? There are some pretty dark things. There, sin is present. And if you aren't sure if that's true of you, just over lunch today, just a little experiment, just after you've enjoyed the meal, maybe wait till then. But then just say to the person, hey, maybe the person that brought you this morning, say, is there any darkness in me? They'll they'll tell you. I bet they will. Um, Let's keep going. Look at the second part of verse 12. Jesus says, whoever follows me will never walk. Here it is. You'll never walk in darkness, he's saying. But you will have the light of life. Now, when Jesus talks about darkness, what he's talking about is the condition of our world. And, And this doesn't need a whole lot of explanation. You watch the news for five minutes and you, you understand that. You, you pick up the paper and you understand that. You have a few conversations with people. You take an honest look at your own heart and you understand it. Things aren't right. Things aren't the way that God intended them to be. People are guided by things in this world that are leading to destructive outcomes, places that Jesus would say, I don't want you to go there. It could be so much better for you, so different for you. And yet, for those who are following Jesus, know this. This is John chapter 17. Jesus has this prayer for people that you would, maybe you would say of yourself, I'm a follower of Christ. John chapter 17, Jesus has this prayer, and it it makes it very clear to us. He wasn't saying, I want you to run from the darkness. I I want you to flee from it. I I want you to kind of shun. I I want you to stay away, stay away, stay away. Jesus prayed this. My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them, here it is, into the world. Who? Jesus. Sent you, sent me into the world. There's another passage where Jesus, I think, kind of turns the tables again. Because first he says, I am the light of the world. But then in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, it's Jesus giving us really what's the greatest opportunity on the planet. And again, Jesus has this large captive audience in front of him, but notice what he says this time. It's not, I am the light of the world. Matthew 5, verse 14, he says, followers of Christ. He says, you, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill, it cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and they put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they might see your good deeds and do what? Do what? Glorify. Glorify your Father in heaven. Our three-year-old son, Easton, has a, a favorite toy in our house. This is it right here. It's a flashlight. He loves this light. Don't tell him I borrowed it. He, uh, that would be bad for me all afternoon, right? He loves this thing. 
The other day we were in the kitchen and the whole family was in the kitchen, you know, lights on, whatnot, and, and he says to Christina, he says, mommy, mommy, he says, come here, come here, and he, you know, gets her down the hallway, gets her into a room, turns off all the lights, the shades are down, it's dark outside, and he's so excited, he turns on this light, and he's like, mom, look, and he just keeps playing. I mean, he went on like this for a long time. It was exciting to him. Now, in the kitchen, the light's not very fun, is it? It's all lit up. There's not a lot not to do. I mean, it's kind of pretty boring, actually. It's just, just a flashlight. But in the light, not, not, not a big deal. But in the darkness, there was no better place for him to be with a flashlight than in the darkness. Think about this for a second. You are the light of Christ. And there's no better place for you, and there's no better place for me, not to shy away from the darkness, but to go to it. This light was made for darkness. This isn't made for a sunny day. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, it says this, the one who is in you, this should give you encouragement, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. God gives us light to be a light in a dark place. He doesn't want us to, to, to shy away from it. No, he wants us to embrace darkness with the light of Christ. He says, go and find some darkness. Go out and shine on others. Find, shine the truth of Jesus Christ. There's nothing more boring, you could say even this, there's nothing more ineffective than having a light in a place that is well lit. It doesn't make sense. And so if you're a follower of Christ, if Christ lives in you, know this morning you were made to be a light in darkness. You don't play with a flashlight on a sunny day. It just doesn't make sense. And don't be afraid, Jesus would say this. He would say, wow, you've got the the spirit of the living God and Jesus Christ is the anchor of your soul. You don't need to be afraid of darkness. You can step into it. The very fact that you're here today means that somebody has touched you with the light of Jesus Christ. You can name that person. It was a parent, maybe it was a friend. But somebody has touched you with the light of Jesus Christ. And I was thinking, you might respond to Jesus' statement, I am the light of the world, I think you would respond in in probably three ways this morning. The first one is this, and it's interesting, first of all, though, that the the crowd responded in different ways. If you read verses 13 all the way to verse 29, you see one response, and that was the response of uh, these religious leaders that started to debate Jesus. They really challenged the statement that he made, I am the light of the world. They challenged him. But then you get to verse 30, and you see that there's an entirely different response by another group of people. It says this, even as he spoke, imagine this, even as he spoke to this crowd of people, even as he spoke, many people put their faith in him. You know, you might be here this morning, and you're trying to figure out who is Jesus Christ. I commend you for your search. And you would agree that, man, our world, it's marked by darkness. And you would agree maybe even that you've got your own level of darkness in your life. I had this image in my mind all week of, you know, I mean, when you walk into a dark room, what's the first thing you do? I mean, what do you think? You think, okay, I'm going to go over to the wall. I'm going to flip the switch because, you know, well, the house has got electricity. A light's going to turn on. You, you believe that that's going to happen. And I thought to myself this week, you know, there were people in the crowd that that morning with Jesus, that, the, that really the switch flipped for them. They said, okay, Jesus, I, I get it now. I, I get that you are the light of the world. And this kind of came to my mind because a guy said to me this week, he said, you know, there was just a moment when, boom, I just got it. I just understood who Jesus was, and that's when I put my faith in him. And I just wondered this morning if for some of you it's, you're going to flip the switch, 
And this, this morning will be maybe that moment where you'll say, you know what, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe that he died on a cross for my sin. I, I get it. I believe. I believe he's the light of the world. Or maybe you're here this morning and you'd say, you know what, I, I feel like I've got the, the light of Christ. I could say that's when I accepted Jesus Christ, but you would say, you know what, my light is shining pretty dimly. And maybe there was a time in your life, and you look back on it, maybe you've got some regret even with it, but you would say, man, there was a time when the power of Jesus Christ was so real in my life. There was a time when I used to get up early, and I used to read this, and it would speak to me, and I used to make decisions based on how God was directing and how God was guiding my life. But you would say, you know what, life got busy. And maybe for a long time now you've said, someday when things slow down, when these kids finally grow up or whatever the circumstance is, then I'm going to get back on track. Then I'm going to pursue Christ hardcore. And you kind of let off the gas pedal and you, you say, wow, my light is it's shining, it's shining dimly. A friend of mine I was talking to this week and he said this, he said, I have been for years and years and years, I have been a person that I would open up God's word every once in a while. I didn't really have a plan. I just kind of opened it up wherever it fell. That's kind of what I would read, that kind of thing. And he said, but the last six months, he said, I began, I've got a plan now. And he said, I am reading. And he said, I am daily reading God's word. And, and I want to share this with you. This is what he said it's done for him. He said, first of all, my kids see me do it. And he said, so now I'm having these conversations with my kids that I've never had before just because they're seeing me with opening up the scriptures, wanting to hear from God. He said, also at work, I've been faced with some big decisions. I've had to make some decisions on on different things at work. And he said, I've got guidance now. I'm, I'm being guided by God's word. It's directing my life. He said, it's impacting my marriage. Now, this is the thing, though, that, that really got me. He said, I can't imagine living a day now where I'm not hearing from God. He's dependent on it. He loves it. Why? Because the source of his leading, it's taking him to a destination that he loves. I think it's really encouraging. In the Old Testament book of Judges, it says that Israel, and you know the pattern of what they did, they would disobey God, and then God would provide for them still. They would ignore God, they would abandon God, but God would then raise up someone else to lead them. Maybe this morning you would say, I've stiff-armed God. I've said, God, you can have this, this, and this, but you can't have that. And so you said, I'm sorry, God, I, you just, that's off limits to you. I want you to know this morning that just like for those people, just like for the Israelites, God kept coming back and back and back. And there was nothing too great that they were doing that God wouldn't continue to show up in their lives. And I just want to encourage you this morning, if you would say, wow, I want to, I want to get the light of Christ. I want to get back on track with the Lord. Know this, if you, if you say that to him, he will meet you in that. He would love to. What would it be like if you began to put Jesus Christ at first priority again? How would it impact your kids if you have them? How would it impact the person you're dating? How would it impact the decisions that you make, the career path? How would it impact your life? Where would it take you? And then lastly, I I think of maybe a group here this morning that would say, you know what, the light of Jesus Christ is burning very, very brightly for me. And you would say, but the thing that's challenging about this text isn't the first part. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But really the challenging part, I would say this to myself, the challenging part is the second where Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And you can put your name in the blank, you are the light of the world. And, And the part that's challenging 
for you on that is you would say, you've experienced God's grace and his power and his truth. You've experienced all of those things, but you're looking now at the darkness and you're thinking, okay, I've, I kind of ignore the darkness. Or I'm a pretty big critic of the darkness. I talk a lot about how dark the darkness is. You know what I'm talking about? A lot of people can do that. It's pretty easy to do, isn't it? But might God give us the grace instead of us being a critic? Might we be the kind of people that we would approach the darkness and we would be a light and we would look for it. And like a little kid, we would be bored in light places, but we would see some darkness and we would say, wow, I want to run to that. I want to get in there. I want to shine with the very light of Jesus Christ that has so changed me. I love this text because I think the applications are pretty, they're across the board. For some, it's, wow, I accept the light of Christ. For others, it's to say, God, would you let my light burn brighter? And then for others, it's to say, God, would you allow me to be the type that I'm not afraid to go to the darkness? I don't shy away from it. I actually think about it, and I'm intentional about it because the light of Christ has changed me. So let's do this. Let's pray, and let's just ask God to, to lead us out of this text. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. And Um, Lord, we just want to pray that we would um, follow your word. Lord, we pray that we would be the kind of of people that our hearts are soft to you. And Lord, I think of those who are here this morning, and and they might say, wow, I'm I'm at that place where um, I'm ready to flip the switch. I believe that I'm a sinner. I believe that I'm in need of a Savior and that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for my sin. And I just want you to know this morning, you can flip the switch. You can believe You can believe that Jesus Christ was the light of the world, that he's the giver of life, and that he desires to walk with you. And if you say that and mean that in your own heart, I'm telling you, he will guide you through that, and you're about to begin a journey you will never regret. You will go to a destination that uh, you you will never look back on with regret. And Lord, for those that are here this morning and they would say, I I just want my light to, to burn a little brighter God, help me to be passionate about you again. God, would you fuel us this morning? God, would you help us to put our foot back on the accelerator? And then, Lord, for the darkness, we pray, Lord, that we would enter into it, that we would be the kind of people that we wouldn't fear the darkness, but we would remember, Lord, you created light for darkness. And so, Lord, thank you for putting the light of Christ in us. Lord, we love you, and uh, with grateful hearts we pray. And now, Lord, we sing and we pray we would worship you well because you are worthy. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.